Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Keith Battle Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Battle, and we are so blessed and grateful to be participating in not only a new year, but an entirely new decade. And I know for me, I'm grateful to still be here. And I know my guest today feels the same way because indeed his life almost ended on more than one occasion. Hal Elrod has survived multiple near-death experiences. And I'm so thankful that he did because he has impacted millions of lives, lives through his books, including my life. His book, Miracle Morning, is one of the highest rated books in the world, selling over 1 million copies and being translated into 34 languages. And his Miracle Morning discipline and daily routine is practiced by over a half a million people around the world. And I am super excited today to have him on the Keith Battle Podcast. Hal, welcome, my friend. Keith, what's going on, buddy? It is good hey, to connect with you. I'm great. I'm great, man. Great to have you. Great to have you. Now, Hal, before we get started, I really want to thank you as well for being one of my, my greatest teachers on how to love. Um, I really want to thank you for that, man, because for those of you who may not know, I'm a part of a biannual mastermind hosted by Hal and his partner in business, John Berghoff. They've been doing it for the last several years. And it's, it was, it's comprised of a group of diverse entrepreneurs from all over the United States who come together to learn best practices and to glean from one another you know, skills to help them achieve their goals and dreams. And the love that I've experienced in those times with you guys really has helped shape my life. And for that, man, I am so grateful, my friend. Thank you, Hal, for that. You're welcome, brother. It, uh yeah, I mentioned I was talking about you earlier today. I was uh, had a conversation with Kamal Ravikant, who wrote "Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends on It," and he inspired that book. Really inspired the message I gave at that mastermind, and um, I shared with him how it impacted you. And um, yeah, man, so uh, I'm, I'm I'm grateful, grateful to hear uh, hear that, Keith. And and you're dude, you're just a light. Whenever you know uh, me and John Berghoff, uh, always, always you know your your uh, your presence. Just bring smiles and joy, dude. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And that ding, that's my my stuff going off in the background. <laughs> I was going, what's going on? I, I got something going on? No, nah, that's me. My, 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 my team's texting me. So how, what I'd like to get into today is your, is, is your newer book, The Miracle Equation. Yeah, please. The two decisions that move your biggest goals from possible to probable to inevitable. That's the title of the book. And I know that's going to really help our audience because this is a very goal oriented audience that tunes into this podcast. But before I get into your newest book, I have to ask you about your near death, your near death experiences and what lessons you took away from them. Because people want to know this man almost died a couple of times. Tell our audience briefly what happened and what you learned from those experiences. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, one of those things that you would never imagine happened to you. Um, you see it on the news and then you, you know, you feel sorry for the person going through it and you kind of change a channel and move on. And it was, uh, when I was 20, I was driving home from giving a speech at a, at a conference. I worked for a company and I spoke at a lot of events and, uh, I was in a brand new Ford Mustang. I was 20 years old, just got this new car a few weeks before. And, uh, my car was held on by a drunk driver at, uh, over 70 miles an hour. And I spun off the drunk driver, my Ford Mustang hit the drunk driver head on spun off the drunk driver car behind me broadsided me in the door at 
70 miles an hour and uh, I, I bled to death. I actually I was when they pulled me out of the car an hour later using the jaws of life, I was clinically dead. My heart stopped and I was dead for approximately six minutes. Um, spent the next, I was revived at the scene of the accident, spent the next six days in a coma. I flatlined twice more during the coma and uh, yeah, woke up to this unimaginable reality that I was told I would never walk again. I had permanent brain damage. I broke 11 bones and uh, I just, I, I made, you know, the first lesson uh, I think is I, I, taking responsibility for everything in our life um, determines kind of the the degree of power we have to change anything in our life. And so for me, I went, well, I, I can't change that I was hit by a drunk driver, but I'm going to, I'm in control of my attitude, my mindset. And I chose to maintain unwavering faith that I could walk again. I didn't know if I could, but I figured, well, I, I might as well focus on walking again until I'm, you know, really proven otherwise. Even the doctors didn't think I would. And uh, and then I, I put forth extraordinary effort. And at that time, the effort was, you know, it was really it was mental effort. It was it was meditating and praying and and visualizing uh, and eventually going to therapy. But um, three weeks after the crash and I was found dead, the doctors came in and they said, "We don't know how to explain this, but your body is healing." so quickly that we're going to let you take your first step today in therapy. Mm. And that blew my mind. I was, you know, even optimistic. I was thinking it'd be maybe a year before I was walking again. And it was three weeks that I went and took my first step. And, you know, Keith, I don't have a, a, a an infographic to show you how my positive thinking and unwavering faith, you know, how, how that contributed <laughs> to my healing and, you know, et cetera. But um, I just have, there's a picture I have of me the day I took my first step and I always, you know, hold that d- true as, as like, hey, look, you know, it doesn't matter what you're told. It doesn't matter what the odds are. All that matters is, are you committed to whatever it is that you want in your life? And my friend Ramasio used to always say, there is always a way when you're committed. And so that, that first lesson was, um, yeah, really just to, to focus, to ex- accept the worst case scenario and expect the best case scenario. And then I just repeated that lesson three years ago. Uh, I was diagnosed with a really rare and aggressive form of cancer called acute lymphoblastic leukemia. And uh, it has a really grim survival rate. It's 10 to 30% uh, survival rate. And I was on the low end because I had this cellular mutation. And um, I just, it was the same mindset. It was like, okay, I know the doctors say I have a 10% chance of surviving. Uh, but I said, there is a 100% chance that I will be in that 10%. And that was, you know, that was my mindset. It was my commitment. It's what I said to everybody. It's what I meditated on and visualized and prayed on. And uh, kind of once again, the doctors were blown away by how quickly I healed and how well I healed. And I've been cancer free now for, for two two years, um, you know, and the lessons, uh, you know, really remain true that you got to take responsibility for everything in your life. And then you've got to commit to overcome or create or achieve, you know, whatever it is for you, uh, everything that it is that you want for your life. And, and so I think those two things, uh, are so simple and fundamental, but they really are, you know, you could say that they're, they're arguably the most effective and important commitments for us to make. I love it. I love it. We're joined today by serial entrepreneur and best-selling author Hal Elrod here on the Keep Battle Podcast. Hal, whenever I attend one of your business or life empowerment events or trainings, and I still haven't made the bet, your best year ever yet because of scheduling conflicts, I can't wait to attend that. But one of the things that I've noticed is the long list of current and former Cutco staff <laughs> as a part of the group. And I, I know this is a bit parenthetical, but but I know you 
cut your teeth, no pun intended, being in sales for Cutco. Tell us what your experience was like there and what makes that company so great at producing entrepreneurs? Yeah, I started Cutco when I was 19 years old and I was I was at that time in my life I was really you'd call it mediocre, I guess, you know, meaning like I didn't excel at anything. Um, I don't mean mediocre as a human being or my self-worth or anything, but I just mean like in terms of accomplishment, achievement, I, I didn't get good grades. I, I never really succeeded at anything. I, I wasn't an athlete, right? I had no sports acumen or coaching or anything. I was really a very average at best kind of uh, kind of kid. I was not an achiever. And um, I got a, I found a mentor. The It was really just, it was my manager, uh, at Cutco. And, um, I, I mean, it goes back to a lot of what I already said earlier, which is that commitment. I just, my, I, I went up to my manager on the second day of our three day training. And I said, Hey, I want to break the all time record, the all time company record for the most Cutco anyone's ever sold in their first 10 days, which is, it's called the fast start. And, um, I thought he was going to be all excited and, you know, give me a high five and spin me around. And, you know, and I wanted to impress this guy, which I think is kind of probably why I you know, was going for the goal. And um, he really kind of did the opposite. He played devil's advocate. He said, Hal, I hear that all the time, but no one I've trained has ever actually done it. No one's broken the record. And, uh, and people always say they're going to, but he said, it takes a level of commitment and work that you've probably you know, never experienced in your life, a level of commitment and follow through. And he said, if you're willing to commit for 10 days to give it everything you have, eat, sleep, drink, breathe, Cutco, he said, you can do it and I'll help you, but, uh, but not unless you're willing to commit at that level. And honestly, I was, I was terrified. I, you know, I, again, I, I wasn't an achiever. I had, I'm like, commit. I don't commit to, I would never committed to anything, right? Like I'm an uncommitted student. I'm uncommitted, you know, like I'm, no, I have no work ethic. And, uh, but I was just embarrassed at that point, you know? And I said, uh, uh, yeah, you know, of course. Yeah, of course. I'll, I'll commit. I'll do whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to commit. And then, you know, 10 days later, I had broken the all-time company record. And so anyway, sorry to go into a lot of detail on that. But the point being, I committed to give it everything I had, no matter what. And, and if you actually look, you know, I know we're going to get into the miracle equation here, the the new book, it's made up of two very fundamental, very simple, but very profound and effective decisions. The first decision is that you will maintain unwavering faith that you can accomplish or overcome or achieve anything that you're committed to. Um, and the second is that you will put forth extraordinary effort to do whatever it takes, no matter what, regardless of your results along the way. Now, The thing about those is those two decisions are deceptively simple in their explanation. You're like, got it. So I got to believe in myself, you know, unwavering faith, believe in myself and extraordinary effort. I got to work hard. Great, Hal. That doesn't help me very much. Right. Um, But when you really break these down, um, it, uh, the unwavering faith piece, if you look at every successful person on the planet and however you define success, it could be the world's greatest you know, CEO or the world's greatest you know, mom or dad or whatever, uh, athlete, Olympian. But if you, if you, if you study the world's, you know, the world's best, those that actually create the results they want for their life um, in remarkable ways, they have two things in common. And you really get you, good luck finding someone that fits the bill of, you know, one of the world's most effective, successful, happy, fulfilled people um, that doesn't maintain these two decisions. And number one, unwavering faith, right? The world's best had to, by default, anyone that's accomplished something that's never been accomplished before, they had to 
establish faith that they could do something that they had never done. And in some cases, no one had ever done, right? If it's breaking a record or, you know, inventing something like Elon Musk, there weren't a bunch of electric cars on the road, right? Elon had to have unwavering faith that he could create something that he'd never created before, that had never been created before. Um, So the first element is unwavering faith. And the thing is, yeah, it's simple in its explanation, but it's extraordinarily rare in its execution. Uh, Think about how, how would your life change if you learned how to establish the faith that you could do anything that faith faith to override any fear that you might have that's holding you back and then what if you figured out how you could maintain that faith over an extended period of time whatever that time period is as long as it took to make that goal that dream that vision a reality right so if we have that level of faith, right, and it, you don't develop it over overnight, um, but you can establish it overnight. And once you establish that level of faith, uh, you know, and there's a lot of nuances I talk about in the book, of course, but that is what will propel you into the extraordinary effort. And the extraordinary effort is it's deceiving. The word is deceiving extraordinary because what here's what makes extra effort extraordinary, that it's consistent over an extended period of time. Almost anyone that's achieved extraordinary results, it was that they put consistent effort, often boring, often mundane, often discouraging, you know, whether it's every day or predetermined days per week, whatever it is, over an extended period of time for as long as it takes. And, And I call that determining your process. Every result that you want to achieve is preceded by a process. So to me, the secret to success is you've got to identify what is the process that will virtually guarantee you achieve your result, right? If you want to lose weight, for example, well, there's a process that precedes it. It's limiting your caloric intake, making sure you're taking in good calories, right? And that you're burning more calories than you're taking in. So therefore you're tapping into your fat reserves and burning your fat. I know that's a very high level basic explanation, but the point is when you can identify your process uh, and, and and get very clear on what the process is that will virtually guarantee your success. And then you figure out how to commit to the process without being emotionally attached to your short-term day-to-day results. Because emotional attachment will discourage you, right? It's like, you know, you're all fired up in the beginning. And then as soon as you you get off track or it's not going as quick as you want, or you, you reach a, a stumbling, you know, block, a roadblock, a wall, then we tend to lose the faith that we can achieve the thing that we're working towards. And once the faith goes out the window, then the effort goes right out behind it. So it's a matter of, okay, you've got to consciously, strategically, systematically, and repeatedly establish unwavering faith or the faith that you can do whatever it is that you're committed to, whatever you desire in your heart. And then you've got to define your process, which becomes your extraordinary effort when you execute it over an extended period of time. So I think I got ahead of ourselves, uh, but I just saved us some time on the back end uh, to explain what the miracle equation is. But that is Everything I've overcome, whether it was the car accident, whether it was the cancer, whether it was you know breaking Cutco records or, or uh, selling a million copies of the Miracle Morning, which remind me well, that's a, a, a neat story that really exemplifies how this all works in real time in practice. Um, but uh, but yeah, every goal that I've achieved, just like most people. They've done it by establishing the faith that they could, maintaining that faith, which is what makes it unwavering, for as long as it took for them to put forth their extraordinary effort and execute their process each day until they achieved what it is they were committed to achieving. And when you live that way, 
there's virtually nothing that you can't accomplish because your success moves from possible to probable to inevitable, right? Because it's only a matter of time when you live that way. You know, what you're saying is just so apropos for this time of the year because, you know, people establishing New Year's resolutions and or New Year resolutions and that thing about losing faith because we don't see the immediate results is just so consistent with people not accomplishing our goals like or or not getting to the finish line because I went to the gym five straight days and I drank extra water and I not only didn't lose the weight, I gained weight. And so this is working. You know, I love what you're saying. And, and I want to just quickly, because we're already into the content of the miracle equation, just let people know that book is available everywhere, right? Where, where can people get a hold of that book? What's the best way of getting it? Right yeah, anywhere that books are sold. Uh, this is actually my first traditionally published book. The first 13 or so books I wrote were all uh, self-published. And so this was the first traditionally published book. So I used to only say, go to Amazon. That's the only place you can find my self-published books. Um, but uh, but yeah, this one's available. Uh, yeah, Barnes & Noble, Walmart, you know, every retailer. The Miracle Equation, you guys. The two decisions that move your biggest goals from possible to probable to inevitable. Now, now how one of your life's missions, in addition to elevating the consciousness of people, one person at a time, is really helping people to reach their goals. Sure. I mean, anywhere you see Hal Elrod, whether it's your podcast, your weekly Achieve Your Goals podcast, whatever it may be, you're helping people achieve their goals. And one of the things that you say is that there is a way to redefine our goals in a way that makes it impossible to fail. And thus removes all fear of failure. Now, you're going to have to explain that. How do I redefine my goal in a way that makes it impossible to fail and removes, which is the big mountain, the big obstacle, the fear of failure? How do you do that? Yeah. Uh, so... I can't take credit for this. And, you know, I, I give credit in the book where credit is due, which is one of my greatest mentors, Jim Rohn. Uh, this was a lesson that he taught. And I actually, I, I never met Jim. Um, I, I wish I did because I, I owe him a huge debt of gratitude because he's really transformed my life. And the lesson that he talks about when it comes to goals, which I'm just paying forward here, um, is that the real purpose of a goal, and I'm paraphrasing, this is kind of how I word it, but the real purpose of a goal is not to hit the goal. The real purpose of a goal, as in the, the greatest benefit that's available to us, is to become the type of person, to develop yourself into the type of person through unwavering faith and extraordinary effort who can achieve grand goals, bigger and better goals. So, so here's, here's a way to think about it. If you had two people that were working towards the same goal, let's say there's two fictional people. I talk about this in the book. Um, and, uh, they both want to be, you know, their goal is to be a millionaire, right? And they set out on their journey to be a millionaire. One of them starts a business. One goes and buys a lottery ticket, right? Um, the one that buys a lottery ticket wins and he's a millionaire overnight, right? Now, let's say it's a gal, she goes and she starts her business. Um, and, uh, and you know, at first it's not even profitable. She's going in debt. She's stressed out. She's working hard. Uh, maybe the first business even fails, but the point is she keeps at it. She keeps working. Maybe she has to start another business, reinvent herself, whatever it is. Uh, well, this guy who's a millionaire, he's living the dream. He's, he's flying around the world. He's buying cars and buying houses and spending all that money, right? Not really becoming a better version of himself. Uh, just, just enjoying the, uh, you know, the, uh, the winnings and 
She, on the other hand, is developing perseverance, resilience, consistency, faith, effort, right? On and on and on, these habits and, uh, and disciplines. And so you fast forward, let's say it takes her a few years to become a millionaire and reach that goal. Well, by the time she's a millionaire, he's lost all his money. Uh, and now he is much worse off because he, he's, he has not grown in those three years. He's just been living the high life. Mm-hmm. So if you actually look at, right, in, 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 our society, most of us would say, would you rather take three three years to earn a million dollars by you know blood, sweat, and tears and, and working hard, uh, or would you rather win it in the lottery in a day, right? Uh, well, I mean, pr- pretty obvious. Most people would say, oh, yeah, I mean, I'll take the lottery, you know? Yeah. Um, go ahead. No, I agree. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. And man, I, I would too. I mean, like, you know, but if you really look at it. No, no, I wouldn't take the lottery. I'm not agreeing with that. Okay. I agree with the, the three-year plan of being a better version of myself as opposed to having the money and not the character to sustain it. Sure. So, so here's what I would do. I would take the million and then I'd spend three years reading books. So I, so I would do like a hybrid approach, right? <laughs> um, but, but the point is, you know, that if most people would think, well, the, the guy, he, you know, right off the bat, they'd go, dude, he, he just won a million bucks. He's the lucky one, right? And three years from now, if you really back up and, you know, look, look over the big picture, you see that, yeah, the real benefit is who you become in the process. So the idea of redefining a goal, most of us have a fear of failure because we've been conditioned to think that the only person purpose of setting a goal is to achieve the goal. And there are a lot of goals that, uh, you know, that I haven't achieved, right. That I grew a lot from. And, and, and here's, I'll share that. I mentioned the miracle morning kind of story. So I wrote the miracle morning, uh, in 2000, it published 2012, 12, 12, 12, uh, I picked a date I wouldn't forget. So December 12, 2012, the miracle morning published. And I wrote that because I felt a sense of responsibility to help some other people with, um, my, uh, uh, with, with what it helped me. And essentially, uh, I, I didn't have big goals or dreams or aspirations for that book. I, I, you know, I didn't have a, I didn't have an audience. I just thought, well, I, I, I owe it to whoever reads this book to write it. And I was literally thinking very small, like, you know, maybe a few, I don't know, dozen, hundred people, maybe, I don't know, might read this book. Um, and, uh, as I started getting emails from people saying how it was radically transforming their life, uh, and this was within the first, you know, this was actually before the book even officially came out because it was when uh, the advanced reader team was reading it and saying, oh my gosh, you know, this is, it was, you know, weeks ahead, month ahead of the, the book launch. And they said, this is transforming my life. And I went, whoa, okay, wait a minute. If this is changing their lives, and they're just, you know, I don't, these aren't my family. These aren't relatives. They're not, I don't think, hope they're not blowing smoke. This could change anyone's life. And I all of a sudden started to expand my vision of what, what I was going to commit to. And I went, I have a responsibility to change, you know, like a million people's lives with this. So I set a goal, change 1 million lives one morning at a time. And I just, I put a 12 month time frame on it because I've been trained, you know, set goals, 12 month goals. Well, why not go for a million? I don't know how I'm going to get there, but let's go for it. And I applied the miracle equation, unwavering faith. I had an, um, an affirmation that said, I'm committed for as long as it takes to sell a million copies and change a million lives. And then I put forth extraordinary effort. And here's what my extraordinary effort looked like that year, by the way. I want you to get this. And this, by the way, this may be the most powerful lesson I can teach through this story. But that year, I launched this podcast or my podcast, the Achieve Your Goals podcast. I did 52 interviews, uh, episodes of that podcast, most, mostly solo episodes um, to just add value for my community. I did 150 
plus podcast interviews on other people's podcasts. I did a dozen, roughly a dozen, maybe 13 morning TV shows across the country, including national TV shows like NBC Daytime. Um, I gave 36 speeches around the country, right? Like I did every possible thing I could do that I knew how to do and things I didn't know how to do to to reach this goal, right? I really put forth extraordinary effort. I really maintained unwavering faith. And here's the crazy part. At the end of the year, instead of hitting my goal of a million copies, I sold, I believe it was 17, it was either 13,000 or 17,000. Let's say 17,000. I sold 17,000 copies. Hmm. If you're doing the math, that's 98.3% short of the goal, I think, right? Roughly. You know, I was 923,000 or 983,000 copies short. And here's the point. Most people, most people, I think, including, you know, me before I started to understand this whole miracle equation concept and process, I would have given up. I would have gone, oh, well, I tried and I failed. But as I mentioned earlier, when you live these two decisions, when you understand how to apply and and, and maintain unwavering faith and, and, and put forth extraordinary effort for as long as it takes, and, and you understand that the only variable is timing, right? Meaning when you set a goal, most often we're overly ambitious and we're overly optimistic and we go, I'm going to do it in this amount of time. And the only thing you got wrong was the time frame. So for me, I, you know, I was I discouraged. Sure. I was a little discouraged. You know, I was like, man, this might take me like, I don't, if, I don't know what the math is on that, but it's like 150 years or you know, something to, to reach the goal. Right. And so, but I was committed the following year to maintain unwavering faith before the extraordinary effort. And I sold about 20,000 copies the next year. So I was still 97% short of the goal. I continued it year after year after year after year. And it took me six years. The sixth year, I surpassed a million copies sold and a million lives, you know, impacted, assuming everybody read the book. But, um, but, uh, so, so I reached the goal and, the variable was timing. And most of us, I, I don't think most of us are willing to commit or, or even aware that we need to commit for as long as it takes, right? Like that's the thing is how long does it take? As long as it takes, you know? And if you're committed to those two decisions for that, for whatever length of time it takes, and I have a lot of authors that I show a graph when I speak sometimes that shows how long it took me to get there. And it's like, you see the graphs like flat, 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 flat for years. It just it didn't it barely moved. And then all of a sudden it started to, to, to cr- climb up. And I have authors all the time that go, man, I only, com- I promoted my book for like a month or three months. And then it didn't perform the way I hoped it would. And so I, I went on to write my next book or I went on for my next thing or I got back to work or whatever. They go, if I would have committed for for six years, you know, any extended period of time like that, who knows where I would be right now in terms of everything, impact, income, you know, you name it, right? Um, so yeah, so that really, that that is, that's it. It's, it's you've got to redefine the purpose of your goal is who you become. And you can become the best version of yourself by putting forth or maintaining unwavering faith and putting forth extraordinary effort and doing that over an extended period of time. And when you do that, you become the type of person that overrides their fear with faith and the type of person that, like me, I was lazy my entire life. I was I never had any work ethic. And it wasn't until I figured this out, the way to define the process when I was actually in sales, where I realized I just have to make 20 calls a day and everything else will work out. If I make 20 calls a day, five or six days a week, all year long, 
I'm going to have bad days. I'm going to have bad weeks. I may, might even have a bad month. But if I commit to that process without being emotionally attached to those short-term results over an extended period of time, I can't fail. And, and that was it as I started to see that, wow, not only am I able to achieve, you know, break these company records and achieve these things, I'm able to do it with less stress than all my colleagues because they're still emotionally attached to their day-to-day results and they have a bad day, they feel bad. They have a good day, they feel good. There's these highs and these lows and that's the human experience. And I kind of figured out this was the hack to the human experience. It's once you find the process... You just remove, you just let go of the attachment to the short-term results, knowing that you're in it for the long run. And the last thing I'll say on this, Keith, is it's often been said, one of my favorite adages, because it's so true, it takes 10 years to be an overnight success. Mm. It takes 10 years to be an overnight success. Well, I shared that with uh, my friend, Mike Koenigs, and he said, so that begs the question, what are you willing to commit 10 years of your life to so you can become an overnight success? I thought, wow, that's so true. How many of us believe in a goal, a mission so much that we're willing to commit 10 years or, or longer, whatever, as long as it takes. And now my mission, once I reached a million people, now it's a billion people. Um, it's, and it's, it's actually elevate the consciousness of humanity one person at a time. So it's just really elevating consciousness. You know, the newest book in the Miracle Morning series is the Miracle Morning for Teachers. And that is designed to help get the Miracle Morning into every school in the world so that we can have students, you know, our next generation beginning their day with all these practices that the Miracle Morning give to you, right? Mindfulness and, and meditation, affirmations, uh, exercise, reading, journaling, visualization, all of the practices, every student in the world, that's the vision to start their day. Uh, and the goal is now a billion plus, you know, plus people. And, uh, but I don't know how long it's going to take. So I'm just committed to living that miracle equation uh, until, uh, you know, I get there. Man, that's great. And for those of you just tuning in, <clears throat> one, I have a cold, but that's <laughs> Rod, host of the weekly Achieve Your Goal podcast and, and an incredible guy and great author. And how would you say it? There's so many lessons to come out of that. One being, uh, well, there's a question, an additional question. When you finished that first year, you sold 13 or 17,000 books, and then you did 20 the next year. Did you continue that torrid pace of 150 podcasts, guest appearances, and, you know, continuing to speak, et cetera? Was it maybe not the same amount, but the same effort? It might have slowed down a little because I believe that once we surpassed a million copies sold, uh, I think I had done over 350 podcast interviews. Okay. It was pretty, you know, it was, it was up, it was upwards of, you know, one, maybe a hundred a year or something the the following years. So the book hit a critical mass at some point, right? Yeah, yeah, and that, that's it. I, you know, I, I listened to the audiobook, The Tipping Point. Our, our mutual friend, Brianna Greenspan, got me the audiobook, The Tipping Point, uh, because she saw the miracle morning as she saw how it was, you know, it had changed her life and, and she saw the potential for it to really elevate consciousness and transform <clears throat> millions of lives. And so she got me this book, The Tipping Point. And uh, that book is a, you know, an in depth kind of study of trends and fads and companies um, that, uh, yeah, that, you know, that it took uh, like just plugging away, plugging away for, you know, years typically until finally they reached that critical mass and, and things just exploded. And uh, that was always, I kind of kept that in the back of my head when on those days where I was like, man, I am not selling very many books, <laughs> but I am still working my butt off to do interviews here. Uh, right. 
you know, yeah. And not getting distracted by the day-to-day results. And one of the reasons why I say that is because there's some authors or potential authors listening, and I want them to be clear, like, you can't be so always selective on where you go to market your book when you're trying to get it out there. You know, sometimes my daughter said, why are you going on that podcast? I'm in somebody's basement in their house and they're doing a podcast (laughs) basement and they got 40 listeners or whatever. And I said, I'm doing it because it's part of my job. Like it wasn't just my job to write the book. It wasn't just my job to get it edited and laid out and designed. It's my job to sell it and market it. And if I got to go, the one podcast that may have 40,000 listeners and another one that may have 40, you know, from the 40 that are listening, it depends on which one person buys it. One person could buy it that has a company that has a thousand employees that he buys it for. So I think one of the things you probably would agree to is that you didn't have the luxury of just saying, hey, if you're not ABC or you're not CBS, I'm not coming on your podcast. You probably went everywhere, anywhere you were invited because that's part of that grind, right? Yeah, I said yes to everybody, um, and uh, and and part of it was, you know, I try to think as I don't know if altruistically is the right word here, but I just try to put myself in somebody else's shoes, and um, and I and and I always would go, you know, if if I were if I were them and I was reaching out to me, asking me on the podcast, what would I hope I would say? <laughs> right. So I just like, uh, it would be a yes, of course. Uh, I was kind of like Jim Carrey, that, that movie. Yes, man. Right. Just say yes to them all. But yeah. And I was a lot of podcasts. Interestingly enough, I've, I've been a lot of podcasters first episode. Right. So they literally had zero listeners, you know, um, but, uh, but, but yeah, it was always a way to both uh, contribute to the podcaster um, and help them out. Uh, and then also just because like you said, like I was, you know, my mission was to affect people's lives. Um, and, uh, and so I just said yes to every podcast. It has gotten to a point now where I, I literally, I, I have to, to, in order to honor my health and my family and you know, my other commitments, um, I'm not able to say yes to every podcast, but yeah, for the first quite a few years, uh, it was, it was just yes across the board. Well, I think that, but again, we're talking about different spectrums or different seasons when you were trying to continue to be faithful to that goal of a million of a million lives touched by your work. You're in that you're in a different place now and your health. But I think it's also important to to those of us on the podcasting side, those of us who have productions or things, and you're afraid to ask people who have successful books. You know, there are people like Hal who may come on your podcast because they are willing to invest the time because they're trying to get to a, they're trying to reach people. And so don't be afraid to ask. The worst you can hear is a no. Um, To that point, because you said you have to protect your family and your health now, one of the things we talked about off the record, and I still want to get to a couple of specifics about about the miracle equation. But one of the things I've heard you talk about that was really helpful for me was when you speak, making sure that people honor your honorarium so that you can maintain your commitment to your family so that if you're going to travel to speak, they'll know, especially in light of the fact that you've been, you know, having, you know, the cancer challenges. Can you talk a little bit about that to public speakers that are listening who may struggle with charging what they're worth to speak briefly about how we need to look at the whole concept of speaking for living? I know that's a big, wide question, but just kind of tackle that really quickly about speaking yeah. for a living, honorarium, you know, that just what your thoughts are about that? 
So first and foremost, it's kind of like when I first started promoting the Miracle Morning, getting the word out, uh, it was anybody and everybody, right? So when I started speaking, I spoke for free quite a bit. I spoke, you know, uh, anywhere and everywhere that I could. Um, the, uh, you know, and that's how you get your chops. You also kind of don't know who's in the audience that might want to hire you. You know, I've, I've given a free speech before and they go, oh, wow, you know, what do you charge? And I, you know, you got you to have a fee, by the way. That, that's an important tip is you got to decide what your fee is. When I was new, it was, you know, my first paid speech was 500 bucks. Um, second one was 1500 I think. And then I went to 2500 and then 3500 And that was one of my tips is every time I got a speaking fee, I raised my speaking fee. Um, if somebody was willing to pay me 1500 I went, well, then I bet somebody else paid me $2,000, right? Um, probably could have gone up even faster, you know, and just, I, I had a mentor once that said, just charge $10,000. And I was like, you know, I was at, I was at zero. And I was like, uh, I, don't, I don't, I don't think I could quote that with a straight face, <laughs> you know? Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, uh, so, but now, um, you know, cause for a lot of years I would, uh, you know, I, I just, you know, you have a lot of friends and it's like all the time, it seems like every, at least every, you know, once a month, if not once a week, you have a friend reaching out and go, Hey, I'm doing an event. Can you speak at it for free? And I used to always say yes. And then one day, uh, I don't know if it was my wife or a friend, but they just, someone said, you know, every, every time you say yes to somebody else to help them out, you're saying no to your family. You're, you're gone from your family, you know? And it's one thing if you're doing it, cause you have to make a living, you know, your family does need to eat, right? and have the roof over their head. So if you're doing it for your fee, um, that's great. And it wasn't until I got cancer that I really got strict about that. Uh, and my wife and I agreed that I will not leave the family again unless I am you know, receiving my full fee. Um, and uh, yeah, so I've, I've stuck to it. And it's still hard because I hate turning somebody down, if, you know, especially if it's a friend or whatever. And mm-hmm. uh, but I, just, I just put it on my wife. I'm like, no, my wife. So. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I'm a coward. I, I, I put it on her. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. We're getting close to the end. And uh, I got a couple of things I want to make sure you tackle before we're going, before we leave. So in your book, The Miracle Equation, you talk about two decisions that are completely counterintuitive to the human nature. Yeah. What are those two decisions and why are they both so difficult to make? So in the, in the, the two decisions that we've talked about in terms of unwavering faith is the first decision, right? You've got to decide once you're clear on what you want, you have to make a conscious decision. I will maintain unwavering faith that I will achieve blank, whatever it is that you want, uh, or overcome blank. For me, it was heal from cancer, right? That was the, the recent one um, a few years ago. Uh, I, I have uh, unwavering faith that I will heal from cancer and live to be 100 plus years old alongside my wife and children. Uh, I'm committed to that no matter what, there's no other option, right? And that's an important piece of the unwavering faith is no matter what, there's no other option. And then the second decision is I will put forth extraordinary effort and I will commit to my process without being emotionally attached to my results, right? And in the book, you know, I give you sheets on how to break down your process and figure all that out, depending on if yours is a weight loss goal or it's a, you know, income goal or a a business, you know, revenue goal or whatever it is. Um, And so, those the two decisions, the reason they're so counterintuitive is our human nature is to kind of let our, our faith or our belief, those words can really be used interchangeably here, um, but based on our results, right? So, most of us, we might establish faith through kind of a blind optimism that, you know what, I'm going to go for this huge goal. But as soon as we run into that obstacle, right? I said this earlier, our faith goes out the window. So, it's human nature to believe what you can see. And when you start to not be able to see it, you tend to not believe it. You know, your faith is is replaced by fear. Wait, oh, I, I had faith I could do it, but it's not looking like it. it's not going as planned. Uh-oh. And now it's replaced. You have now fear that you're going to fail. And once you have fear, 
putting forth extraordinary effort, which again, just consistent daily process. Once you're doing that, right? Well, when you're coming from a place of faith, then the, the, the faith fuels your effort. But once you start to lose faith, you lose the faith, the fuel, the drive to put forth the effort. And so that's why it's so difficult is these decisions, like I said, just simple in explanation, but very rare in execution because it is against our human nature. And so they're kind of, you know, it's about overriding your human nature, I guess you could say. Um, but, uh, but, but a lot of this is just simply doing it in writing. Like once you've got clear conscious decisions in writing, once you've clarified in writing what unwavering faith means to you, what your level of commitment is to that faith and how you're going to maintain it. And then you've clarified what your process is and you've got it simplified so that it doesn't feel extraordinary. That's the whole thing. You want it to feel ordinary. It doesn't feel extraordinary so that you wake up every day and the faith fuels you. It motivates you to put forth the effort. And then it's a, it's kind of a, a there's a, a faith effort feedback loop, which is when you put forth the effort, you start to feel deserving of the result that you're working towards. And that fuels your faith that it's possible. You start to think, dude, I'm doing it. I'm putting forth everything. I'm giving it my all. I'm actually, you know, I've been consistent now for the last 17 days in a row, right? Like this is getting easy, you know? Um, yeah. And so those two decisions are counterintuitive, but once you get really clear on them and what they look like, you put them in writing, uh, you know, it actually is a lot easier uh, than you imagine. Perfect. Perfect. So I'm going to skip over about seven questions and go right to rapid fire. Rapid fire. You only got like 15 seconds to answer this question. All right. Your favorite hobbies or pastimes? Uh, Shooting hoops with my kids. Three keys to writing a book. Um, Get clear on what you're qualified to write about and get clear on who it is that you feel needs that message and then write your book in a way that changes those people's behavior so that it adds value to their life. That way they don't just think about what could be different in their life, but you actually lead them to behavior change that's meaningful and adds value to their life. And if you do that, they're going to keep talking about your book long after they read it because they're doing things in their life now that are different, that are better. Awesome. Five most important books you've read from an impact perspective. The five most important books you've read. Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It by Kamal Ravikant. Um, uh, Let's see. I'm looking on my shelf here. Um, Oh, Conversations with God by Neil Donald Walsh. You Are the Placebo by Dr. Joe Dispenza. Uh, and I am picking it. It's like my favorite books up here. Um, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Uh, and the other one, which is very niche, but it's Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters by Meg Meeker. And that was a real game changer for me and my daughter. Perfect. Perfect. These last ones, one word answer. I'm going to say a word. You tell me the first word you think of. You ready? Yeah. Austin, Texas. Living. Best year ever. Blueprint. Miracle Morning. Best book ever. <laughs> uh, running. I uh, hate it. Writing. Love it. Ursula Elrod. Love her more than anything in the world. Sophie Elrod. Love her uh, equally as much. Halston Elrod. Up there, right, tied with all the other two. Miracle Equation. Uh, equally best book ever. When you die, and it's not just a close call, but it's the real thing. How do you want to be remembered? Mm. That he dedicated his life to making other people's lives better. Wow. 
Ladies and gentlemen, that's how that's how Elrod, author, entrepreneur, husband, dad, friend, leader, game changer. How how can people connect with you or keep up with you? Go to miraclemorning.com. That's the best place to kind of find all things uh, Miracle Morning and uh, and and you know lots of my stuff there too. You're on social media. Uh, yeah, uh, Hal Elrod, most places uh, on Instagram, Hal underscore Elrod. But uh, yeah, you can find me if you type Hal Elrod into the search. That's it, family. Follow him on social media, buy his book. You'll be blessed. I'm Keith Battle, and I'll catch you right here next time on the Keith Battle Podcast.